stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture is from John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5 and 20 through 26. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though, though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is God's word. This isn't working. Okay. So, um, quite a backdrop here. Uh, there's a lot of life happening. And that's great because today's sermon is about life. This week we begin a brief series on the Christian life. Today we're going to see how the eternal relationship among the triune God is the foundation of life itself. In the coming weeks, we'll build on that foundation with messages on the gospel, Christ's personal connection to each of us, gospel centrality, the filling of the Holy Spirit, relational discipleship, and the role of suffering in our spiritual growth. Let's pray. Our Father, you are in this presence. You are present with us even now. And so, Lord, may your spirit take your word and bring it into our minds and into our hearts. May you grant us understanding and have a passion for what Jesus was so passionate about as expressed in this prayer in John 17. For, Lord, we know that he prayed this prayer for all of us, his final prayer for us before he would leave this earth. Lord, may we unite our hearts with him. Hear his call to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
if there was a key that would unlock your understanding of life, a key that would answer the why questions of life, a key that would give you the blueprints for life. There is such a key. It's called the perichoresis. Maybe a word you haven't heard before. It's a Greek term used to describe the triune relationship between each person of the Godhead. It speaks of the eternal relationship among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It expresses the intimacy and reciprocity among the three persons of our triune God. When we understand this eternal relationship, we will begin to understand life, and we will have the blueprint for life. This is why Tim Chester wrote, the doctrine of the Trinity is central to how we know God, how we can be rescued from sin, how we understand the life and mission of the church, and even what it means to be human. Michael Reeve went a step further when he said, the Trinity is the governing center of Christian belief, the truth that shapes and beautifies all things. And Ralph Smith wrote, the Christian worldview must find its center in the Trinity. For the Christian God himself is the heart of the Christian understanding of the world. And we might add, this isn't just true for Christians. It is true for all of life. Because life is designed according to the inner nature of the creator, which is found in his eternal relationships, the perichoresis. The inner nature of God determines what creation is like. Think of a seed planted. The nature of the seed determines the nature of the plant. If we plant a tomato seed, a tomato plant will grow. If an acorn falls into the ground and germinates, it produces an oak tree. Similarly, an artistic masterpiece comes out of the inner nature of the artist himself. In a way, the perichoresis is the DNA that forms all of life. When we understand this, we're going to see life in a new way, the way God intends. This morning, we're going to take a quick look at the perichoresis as it's pictured in the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Then we're going to look at three of the most important features of life. All of life is governed by this relationship, but we're going to look at the three, three important features, purpose, glory, and love. We begin by looking at the relationship between the Father and the Son. What were they doing before creation? What were they doing since eternity past? They weren't playing solitaire. The answer is found in John 17, Jesus' prayer. 
they experienced and are experiencing perfect joy in a relationship of love and mutual glorification. Perfect joy in their love for one another and their glorifying each other. And amazingly, as we look at this prayer, we see that Jesus prays that we are meant to be participants in this relationship. Experience with God and with each other exactly what is going on in the perichoruses, exactly what the Father and Son have been experiencing since eternity past. John 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, that's the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's every believer since them includes us. The prayer that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So what's he praying for us in our relationships? That our relationship would be like that of the Father and the Son. He continues by answering a question, what does Jesus ask about our relationship with God? He prayed that they also may be one in us, that we may be in them experiencing what they have always experienced with each other. And he concludes, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus wants every believer to become one with each other as the Father is with the Son, and he prays that we would enter into a relationship with God like we have with each other. Think of an inner circle of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God designed us to enter into that inner circle, experiencing fully with God and with each other. That's why in verse 3, Jesus defines eternal life as knowing you, God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he sent. Life is about knowing God entering into that inner circle. So what happens at the divine party? Because that's what's happening in the perichoruses. Exactly what the God, the Father, and Son have been doing before time. Jesus' prayer shows us love, glory, and joy. We're going to take these one at a time and see how they are foundational in our lives. We begin with joy because it's, it's a first step in understanding our divine purpose. You know, some search for purpose by looking outward to the far reaches of the universe. Others look for purpose by looking inward deeply into themselves. Jesus says we find purpose by looking to God. John 17, 13 offers the first hint at our purpose. Jesus prays, but now I am coming to you. These things I speak to you that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. 
That's Jesus' prayer for us. That we may have his joy fully in our lives, completely in our lives. What is Jesus' joy? It's everything about his relationship with the Father. It's the joy of the perichoruses. Another way to consider our purpose in life is to understand God's reason for creating us, because our purpose is the flip side of that. He created us because his heart overflows with love. An overflow of love has always been true of God. God is love because he has always been in a loving relationship among himself. If our God was a single person God, not a triune God, but a single person God, love for others could not be at the center of his being because there wouldn't be anyone else to love. Have only himself, so all of his love would be showered upon himself. And so why would a God like that create others? It's all about self-love he would create out of a selfish purpose. Maybe to get someone to love him. Maybe to get people to worship and glorify him. It would be like a person on a, a desert island by himself. Why would that castaway want someone else to come? Simply to get, not to give. Unfortunately, many people think of God in this way. Many people actually reject that God, not the true God of love. The God of the Bible is very different. Love has always been at the center of his being. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were always loving each other and selflessly revolving their lives around each other. God's love spilled over into creation. It is because his love is so great and so massive, he can't, couldn't keep it to himself, and so he creates others. Why? To experience what he has been experiencing. To have the joy that he has. Jesus' joy. Instead of an image of a single castaway on a desert island, we th should think of God as the host of a divine party. Wasn't need for anyone else. The party was already perfect. Had everyone he could ever desire. If you hosted the perfect party where you had everyone you loved and cared for, you're having the perfect time together, why would you invite your neighbor? Because you want your neighbor to experience the joy in the party that you're experiencing. That's what God did in creation. He couldn't keep it to himself. He burst out into creating us 
to join that divine party. Because he is love, he created us and then invited us to enjoy what he has always been enjoying. As George Marsden wrote, it is consistent with the nature of a God who is essentially loving to create a world of beings and communicate his love and delight he had in himself to them. So, there is a divine party of perfect joy. Our purpose is to join that party. So what happens at the party? Cake and ice cream are not being passed around. As we see in Jesus' prayer, love and glory are being shared among everyone. Love and glory are shared. That means they are received and given. See, our purpose isn't just to glorify God and love him. Certainly, these are central and critical to our purpose. But our purpose includes receiving God's love, receiving the glory he wants to share with us. And when we receive these, that's when we are full enough to return from the depths of our hearts and being a love for God and a desire to glorify him and live for his glory. God's glory. Let's look at the glory that he is sharing with us. John 17, 22, Jesus prayed, the glory, Father, that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Back to the perichoruses, but look at that first phrase. God has given us the glory that he'd given Jesus. God shared his glory with us when he created us in his image. We're not like the beasts of the field or the birds of the sky. We've been given eternal spirits built for relationship, made to shine with the character and glory of God. At the core of everyone's identity should be the idea that we're made in the image of God and for the believer that we are a child of God. God shared his glory when he showed how valuable we are to him by the price he paid for our redemption. He paid not with all the gold in the world, all the silver stored in the earth or all the precious stones yet to be uncovered. He paid a price more valuable than all the treasures in the world for us. He paid the life of his son so we could enter into the perichoruses. He shared his glory when he sent the Holy Spirit to live within believers the Holy Spirit to do a work in our lives, and as Paul says, changing us from glory 
to glory. And he will share his glory when we see Christ and are transformed into his glorious image. God wants us to receive his glory. And when we receive it, we give it to him as well. Jesus prayed this in verse 1. Father, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. See, Jesus wanted to be glorified, but not for his own sake. He wanted to be glorified so that he could fully and completely glorify the Father. In the divine party, Jesus is glorified by the Father and he glorifies the Father. The same should be true of us. We should glorify God as Jesus did. How? We glorify him when we treasure him above all things. When we put him at the center of our lives, when we place him on the throne of our lives. We glorify him when we exalt him in worship and uncover the wonders and excellencies of God and praise him for it. We glorify him as we are being formed more and more into his image, displaying his character of love, justice, grace, and goodness to the world. Glorifying God was never a burden to Jesus. It was a joy. When we live according to God's design, the same will be true of us. We will desire passionately to glorify him. Love, glory, and love are shared at the divine party. You know, just about everyone's blueprint for life puts love at the center. It's in the songs of every generation. Love makes the world go round. All you need is love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Put a little love in your heart. You can notice that there are uh, more from my era, but uh, <laughs> black-eyed peas. Okay, where is the love? You know, it's not just in our songs. Neuroscience and psychology have proven the critical nature of love and relationships in our development. We all know on one level or another, love is central. But few have an explanation for why. The Bible shows us why. It's because the creator of the universe has love at the center of his being. And creation flows from his nature. But God wants a special quality of love in our lives. The quality of selfless love that God the Son and God the Father have always experienced. We hear this in Jesus' prayer in verse 26. I made known to them your name. 
that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Hear his prayer. Father, may the, the love with which you have, the love you've loved me with, may that be in them and their love for God, their love for one another. So when Jesus was asked about the blueprint for life by a lawyer, he answered, it's love. Matthew 22, verses 35 and following. A lawyer asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandments of the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. But there's a second one just like it. You shall love your neighbor. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the blueprint for life. It flows from him. Life is about loving God with the same love he has for us and loving one another with the same love that the Father and Son have for each other. Without this love, our lives are but noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. Over the next few weeks, we'll see how God reaches out to us to envelop us in this love and see that being in God and with God is the key to living life as it was meant to be lived. We will clearly see we love because he first loved us. The relationship among the triune God is the blueprint for life. It's why God so loved the world that he gave his son. It's why Jesus lived among us, offering us his joy, and why out of his love he sacrificed his life for us. It's why the Christian life is not a religion, but a relationship with God, fueled by love and lived out through love. It's why our spiritual growth is dependent upon relationships with God and with each other. It's why we thrive when we place God at the center of our lives and worship him. It's why prayer is about union with God and his will, not just what we get. And why scripture draws us into the inner sanctum of God and his eternal plan. It's why the church is one body made up of many members living out lives of love with one another. And it's why eternity is not about streets of gold, but about seeing the face of God and joining all creation in worshiping him. The eternal relationship among Father, Son, and Holy Spirit explains all of life. Let's pray. Our Father, today's message is theory, but reality. We want you to, over these next weeks, bring these truths to life. May we begin today by realizing what you have called us into, something far beyond what we can imagine, something much grander 
than anything this world has to offer. And Lord, may we hear your word, may your spirit move to build on this foundation, to draw us into a deeper love relationship, a greater passion to glorify you and to live with one another in the same love with which you love us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.